Hello you and welcome back to episode four of What on Earth, the Hubbard podcast, where we delve into the past, present and future of an environmental issue. Last week, we spoke about how to have a sustainable period. It was a really interesting episode. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and check it out later. Don't worry, though, if you haven't heard it, it won't affect how much you're going to enjoy this episode. This week, we're going to take a look at cotton. For a plant, it's had more than its fair share of drama throughout history and has now become one of the world's most popular fabrics. So much so that we use 29 million tonnes of the stuff every single year, which is enough to make 29 t-shirts for every single person on the planet. So why have we singled out cotton? Well, cotton is one of the most popular fabrics on earth, but a lot of people don't even know where it comes from. If you're one of those people, cotton actually comes from a plant. On top of this, it's really damaging for the environment and we're super far removed from the production process, so we don't even know it's an issue that we should be educating ourselves about. Today, we're going to solve that problem and find out how what we wear has an impact on the planet and what we can do about it. We're going to be talking to Amber about the history of cotton. Essentially, the history of cotton is really the history of profits. Learning about what the environmental impacts of cotton actually are and finding out what we might be wearing in the future. There's a unicellular organism called slime mold. It technically grows in the forest. So to kick off the episode, we're going to chat to Amber, who is honestly a genius. She knows everything that there is to know about cotton and she's going to take us through the history of the fabric. Cotton has a really interesting and incredibly dark history. Uh, Cotton has been present and has been a driving force behind some of Britain's worst atrocities throughout the world. So it's not native to Britain, to the UK. Uh, Cotton comes from the Indus Valley and has been cultivated there for millennia. Trading in cotton fabrics is kind of equally as long. There's a really long history of trading in fabrics, but it doesn't really reach northwestern Europe until around the 16th century. What we then see is in 1600, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, through a royal charter, essentially sort of sets up the East India Company and they start importing uh, cotton goods to the UK. So before this point, the majority of people here are wearing fabrics such as wool, which is a real mainstay of the medieval economy, sheep, Obviously, we have many sheep. It's very important for the economy of the country. And fabrics like linen, fabrics like leather, things like that. Cotton is largely unknown. With the East India Company importing it, it starts being used for um, furnishings. We get things like chintzes. So cotton production in India is really sophisticated at this time. They can create really bright colours, printed fabrics, painted fabrics, much brighter, much more vibrant than anything we can create here in Europe. So this becomes a real trend in terms of home furnishings. And quite quickly throughout the 17th century, people start wearing it on their bodies as well as on their walls and on their beds and furnishings. Now this is partly due to the East India Company who explicitly send fabrics to certain what we would call influencers in the 17th century who start wearing it and it becomes very, very fashionable. So what we have here is East India Company trading these cottons into the UK. It becomes very fashionable. People here want to be able to create it here and 
profit from it more. Essentially, the history of cotton is really the history of profit, of people wanting to profit and the exploitation that goes along with that. So what you were talking about earlier about the kind of darker side of cotton, how does that manifest itself? That manifests itself in a number of ways. We're in the 17th century. Cotton chintzes are being imported from India through the East India Company. Uh, Now, what also happens at around about the same time is that we get cotton taken to America and harvested on slave plantations. So it becomes, especially from the late 18th century, becomes a really key commodity in the triangular transatlantic slave trade. So what we have here to try to summarise that is we have manufactured goods in the UK, in Britain, being sent to the slave coasts of Africa, traded for human lives, who are sent in chains, chattel slavery, across the Atlantic, where they are sold in the American South. Raw cotton is then bought in the American South, which has been harvested and worked by slave labour. That then goes back to Britain, where it can be created into cottons, by into sort of fabrics and cloths. By this time, we've seen the drive for cotton lead to industrialisation in this country. Cotton is a really key driver of the Industrial Revolution. There's a number of machines invented throughout the 18th century, things like the spinning jenny, the cotton gin especially. All of these things hasten the production, the manufacture of cotton. And when you have raw material like cotton being harvested by slave labour, Obviously, there are huge, huge profits involved. So cotton is really key to this. So not only is it a key commodity in terms of the slave trade, but it's also a key commodity in terms of British imperialism and colonialism in India. What we see is the East India Company becomes more and more and more powerful throughout the centuries in India. And by 1858, you've got the breakdown of local Mughal rule in India, the dominance of the East India Company, and we essentially see the formation of the British Raj. This grows out of the dominance of the East India Company. So again, this is largely due to cotton and the desire for cotton. So we also get raw cotton coming from India as well as from America, manufactured here in the UK, and we then sell it back to India as a way of not only profiting here in the UK, but of also suppressing any sort of economic self-determination that there may be in India itself. What I know about cotton, a lot of stories of children breathing in cotton and mistreatment of workers. So what effect did it have on people here in Britain? Yeah, so industrialisation driven really by cotton, we see huge transformations, especially in the north of England. Manchester becomes known as Cottonopolis. Um, and we see all of these mills um, spreading throughout Lancashire and the northwest. So essentially, we have exploitation on a number of levels. Obviously, we have chattel slavery happening across this triangular system. But we also then have exploitation of the labouring working class in Britain as well. As we move towards industrial capitalism, we see men, women and children working in factories in incredibly exploitative, hazardous conditions. 
really dangerous machinery, incredibly long hours. Workers at this time have very, very few rights. And it's the textile industries and especially cotton that Karl Marx actually writes about a lot when he starts writing about the problems of the worker under industrial capitalism. And what comes next after that? So moving into the 20th century, how has the role of cotton changed? Well, we really see it change in India because it becomes a key product in the drive for independence. Gandhi encouraged people to spin cotton at home, in their homes, homespun cotton called cuddy. Now, he first started spinning in about 1915, and he used this as a really key practice in his non-violent resistance to British rule in the Indian subcontinent. So he would travel around the villages encouraging people to spin their own cotton and to burn imported British cloths so that there was no longer this economic reliance on cloth that was being imported from Britain. So this really became a symbol of the move for self-reliance, the independence move in India became the defining symbol of the independence drive. In terms of where we are now, how big a role does cotton play in fashion at the moment? Cotton still plays a huge role in fashion now. Obviously, throughout the 20th century, we have a number of man-made synthetic materials developed as well. So we're no longer reliant just on fabrics we can draw from nature, like wool and cotton and linen. You know, nylons, polyesters, etc., etc., developed, which have their own set of environmental issues, obviously. Uh, But cotton still forms a large part of what we wear, especially something as ubiquitous as jeans, for example. Jeans created from cotton form an incredibly large part of the global wardrobe. So it is still absolutely enormous in terms of the clothing that we wear today. And I'm just going to skip back a little bit. We were touched on the environmental impacts of some of the things like nylons and synthetic fabrics which contain plastic. But in terms of cotton, what kind of effect was it having when we were first growing it at this scale on the environment and the land where it was being grown? Actually, from the very beginning, it had quite a disastrous effect. Before it was cultivated, taken to the American South, it was being grown, it had been taken to islands in the West Indies, like Barbados and places like that. And when it was decided that the sort of agriculture, the growing of cotton would move to the American South, it left sort of devastation, complete devastation in its wake from over-cultivation of the cotton crops. And this is something that we touched on in food as well. So you're growing a single crop and it means that it's really damaging to the soil. It can be damaging for the people who are growing it. From your perspective, what are the best fabrics that people can buy at the moment? Even organic cotton, the amount of water that is required to create cotton fabric is absolutely unfathomable it's unsustainable it's immense so cotton even though it's a natural fiber even though we're not using plastics it's not especially environmentally friendly what i would recommend there are a range of new fabrics being developed there are some being created from bamboo fibers which are great because bamboo is a really sustainable crop it's really fast growing you can cultivate it relatively easily Um, There are also fabrics um, that are being created from wood pulp, things like tensile, things like that, which are also a bit more sustainable than using cotton. So it is an area that the fashion industry and even the fast fashion industry is moving into. um, And I can only hope that this is going to expand and improve and get even better in the coming years. 
Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I literally could have listened to Amber talk about cotton for hours, but there's a limit to how much time we have on these podcasts, so we're going to have to move swiftly along to the present. So the big problem with cotton at the moment is that it takes 2,700 litres of water to grow enough cotton for one T-shirt. I added that up, and if you take a glass of water to be 250 mil, that's 10 thousand glasses of water which is enough for you to survive on for an entire year cotton is also grown in places where there isn't a whole lot of water anyway so we're prioritizing cotton over people's drinking water which is a huge ethical minefield cotton has also been linked to some really scary stuff like the shrinking of the aral sea go and look it up to find out a little bit more basically the aral sea has been shrinking over the last 30 years and people are pretty sure that that's largely down to intensive cotton production in the area on top of that the other thing we need to worry about is chemicals so we use pesticides to keep pests away make sure that we get a really high yield from a cotton plant but it's also really toxic for the people who are growing the cotton and it can run off into groundwater and rivers poisoning not just the stuff that lives in the river but the people who need that river to survive So not only are we prioritizing cotton over actual people's drinking water, we're also poisoning the water that they do have by using loads of pesticides and nasty chemicals, all for a t-shirt that we're probably gonna buy, wear once and then chuck in the bin anyway. There are so many issues. Ah! Okay, so there's no one-size-fits-all solution or magical sustainable fabric that's going to fix all of our problems. The main thing that we can do is buy something that you really, really love, that you're going to wear again and again, that you're going to fix if it breaks and treasure forever. But more on that next week when we're going to be looking at the fast fashion industry as a whole. Right now, we're going to cast our eyes forward to the future and meet someone who is making fabrics out of mushrooms. I'm Aurélie Fontan. I'm a fashion designer specialised in um, sustainability and circular couture. So my first question is, what is biodesign exactly? So biodesign is a new field of design that's essentially looking at using living systems to design products or biomimicry. So it's a subcategory of biodesign is where you um, extract some of the nature's processes to apply to design. So it's like you're trying to mimic what nature is doing within your product because nature has a way to be quite circular. How can you make stuff out of living organisms that doesn't decompose and that works in the same way as normal clothes yeah so that's the whole challenge of biodesign essentially um uh, i know a couple of designers who use different things there's a unicellular organism called slime mold it technically grows in the forest and it is very smart because it will technically look for food and grow in a kind of lace pattern so a lot of designers including myself have been using this organism to create patterns that you can vectorize afterwards so it really depends because as you say if you use living things they will biodegrade essentially they will die so the way that you use biomimicry could be either practical where you make a material based on living organisms that you dry or you bake etc Um, mycelium is a 
good example. So mycelium is being used in product design at the minute. If you grow mushroom, when you grow it on a substrate, it basically colonizes the substrate and makes like a really hard material you can use to make bricks. The way that other designers use it in fashion is more conceptual, abstract, and would be maybe drawing a pattern from a living organism or maybe getting inspired from like what how they work and what they do. Um, for bacteria, it's a bit easier because some bacteria create pigments. So if you use them to dye fabric and you can just dry the fabric and the only thing is that now we're kind of struggling to fix the color within the fibers of sure. the fabric. But it sounds amazing. Are more and more designers doing this and is this the way that the fashion industry is going to move in the future? I think so, yeah. So you can see that um, Stella McCartney, for instance, is doing mushroom bags, so mushroom skin. She's um, using spider silk, so it's essentially biomimicry as well. The problem is the investment because it's very, very difficult and expensive to develop a product from that. So for instance, um, Suzanne Lee, who's a pioneer in biodesign, mm -hmm. she's technically now working on, I think, um, grown leather. So she's growing leather cells in her lab and trying to make fabric from it. So essentially, yeah, <laughs> we don't have to kill animals anymore. The problem is that there are some questions about how you feed the material because you kind of have to use um, organic slash animal matter mm -hmm. to make that material so how vegan is it really <laughs> there's so much going on I had yeah. no idea it seems like there's some really exciting stuff happening in textiles at the moment mm -hmm. the other question is how is it more sustainable than a normal fabric or a traditional fabric like cotton or linen well, it's really interesting. I think the main point of focus about sustainability um, for cotton and organic materials and fabrics would be the water usage. So essentially, if you use a lot of water to make something, it's not really sustainable. And also, I mean, there's like loads of environmental problems. The pesticides is also another one. So when you work with um, biodesign and you create materials from scratch, it really allows you to control everything in the supply chain and in the design process. So you know exactly what you've used, you can recycle it. When I was growing my kombucha, so I made a kombucha dress, I reused the water that I was using because you have to grow it in tea. So you can reuse that like again and again and again. So you can have like a really closed loop. It was a really difficult one. It was like literally a side project um, next to my collection that I was making. It took me a year to grow it. So the problem is also wow. the, yeah, the time frame. So you can't really collect the material as, as quickly as cotton and linen and things like that. But it really allows you to control. And everything is probably made in a lab. Um, if you think about everything that's been developed in the, in the United States, for instance, so spider silk and all that, and mycelium, um, it's made in a lab, so it's synthetic but organic so it's really interesting and there are loads of other amazing fabrics out there if mushrooms aren't quite the right one for you but if you still want to buy cotton buy organic look for the got symbol which is the global organic textile standard it's the best certification for organic cotton that there is and that's it We'll be back next week and we're going to be looking at fast fashion. In the meantime, you can tweet us at Hubbub UK. We're on Instagram at Hello Hubbub. And if you haven't had enough of us, you can get your sustainability fix over on our YouTube channel. Finally, at the moment, we are one below Brian Cox on the Apple podcast science charts. It's very exciting. We want to beat Brian. So if you can recommend this podcast to just one friend, then we'll die happy. I'm Sarah Dival and this is a Hubbub production. See you next week.